The world's economy was hit hard by COVID for the last two years, but towards the end of last year, it started to recover at long last. Then came the Russian invasion of Ukraine with the possibility of a third world war looming large. This sent financial markets into yet another tailspin. I'm Catherine Rice, and you're listening to The Story. This week, we're talking to journalists and experts about the implications of all of this for South Africa. What does it mean for the man in the street? We're now joined by Carol Payton, Senior Financial Journalist for Fin24. Carol, thanks for being in studio with us. Our inflation rate is rising, interest rates are going up, unemployment is at a record high, yet the rand is stronger than ever. Just what is going on? Well, a few things. A few things are going on and they're not all, you know, directly related. So we've got rising inflation. It's sort of overhang from COVID. So um, supply chains were very disrupted during COVID. So, so, so inflation started to take off in the Western developed world. And we are kind of suffering, you know, the same effect. And then, of course, um, with the war in Ukraine, um, you've got the oil price spiking. And so then inflation has, has taken a further kind of, you know, shock and it's going to rise even further. So, so that's the kind of inflation side of it. I mean, the fact that the rand remains strong is um, very much due to the fact that commodities prices, you know, prices for our minerals are so high at the moment. And, and, that's, and that's a function of demand from, from countries that are using it, such as China. So it's kind of, it's unrelated to Ukraine and, and Russia, but it's had the effect of, of really giving a lot of support to our, our, our sort of government finances, our, our country finances, let's say, the finances of the country, the current account. And because we've now got lots of money, lots of dollars coming in, when we sell all of these minerals, we've actually got more dollars coming in than going out when we're exporting things. And that is what is keeping the rand strong. Carol, the price of oil has soared, with consumers likely to feel it at the petrol pumps. Do you think this is temporary or will we recover soon? You know, I think most people are looking at um, April and May being particularly bad months. I don't think that there'll be any time real relief. I think that the oil price has spiked and it's still, it's, you know, it's, it's less, it's kind of come down a bit. Um, since the the first spikes you know hit when the war broke out, so it's 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 coming down a bit, but I don't think that we're going to see a very low oil price anytime soon because of the dynamics of the oil price and the fact that Russia plays such a large role in the oil price. Um, so so yeah, maybe April and May the kind of prediction is going to be bad, but after that it's going to level off. But yeah, as we know, it's still um, people are still paying a lot of money. Um, to fill up their cars. And Carol, judging by financial markets, it looks as though the world is hoping that the war in Ukraine is not going to end in a global conflict. How do all of these international developments affect South Africa? Well, the war in Ukraine, um, I think it affects affects the whole world, really, um, with oil, oil price and wheat price and and prices for other other commodities like cooking oil and so on. So, so those those that's we feel that affect in our inflation rate, in our food prices, in our petrol price, and so on. Normally, what happens in a crisis is that any emerging mar- in any emerging market like ourselves, the currency really gets hit in a crisis, um, and that hasn't happened this time. So obviously, the ruble has has really tumbled, but. Other emerging market currencies haven't really been hit and the rand hasn't really been hit. So so for us, 
sort of going forward, the main, the most important thing is here we've got these high commodity prices. We don't have them all the time. What are we going to do? How do we use this moment of great fortune? Because it means, you know, not only do we have lots of exports, the government gets in lots of revenue because the miners are making lots of money. So um, how do we use that and, and maximize it? And that's, that's a difficult thing for South Africa. And last time there was a commodity boom, we did not get that right. So I think that's the most important thing now. What about tourism? I mean, that's something that really has the potential to grow the South African economy. But is it likely to under the current conditions? Well, you know, the tourism problem, I mean, South Africa, as we know, performs below its potential and especially in, in tourism. And and the main reason for that are these kind of problems, our social problems, and, and the fact that we've got a high crime rate, safety and security is an issue. I think those are the issues that really stop people from coming here or make them think twice. As far as it being a good destination with lots of places to go and lots of good infrastructure as well as cheap for anyone coming from from you know the US or, or Europe. We're not actually making up that potential and I do think it's got a lot to do with getting both you know corruption and and um, crime under control and then just getting our act together and promoting the country and that hasn't really been done very well. And given the current climate in South Africa, as you mentioned, crime, corruption and poor economic growth, how realistic do you think Ramaphosa's goals are for international investment in South Africa? Well, he set this goal of, you know, getting 1.2 trillion um, rand in investment over five years. Now, that that number is a little bit tricky because um, it's it's achievable. I mean, he's almost there. But obviously, it depends what you count into the numbers and what you don't. So if a company is, you know, you know, replenishing its 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 factory or, or kind of upgrading its factory, and you put the count that as new investment, then the new the investment numbers look a lot higher than they are. But what we know is that actually what's really happening, you don't, in the numbers in the economy, when people measure these things. So people are measuring how much fixed investment is going into South Africa. And it's very, very low. In fact, it's at the lowest point it's ever been in post-94. Post so it's at 13% of GDP. So that's very, very low. And as long as we have those extremely low levels of investment, we're not going to have economic growth and we're not going to have job creation. And so this, this kind of vicious circle that we, we're trapped in at the moment of, of low growth, of rising unemployment, of an increasing number of people leaving schools and coming into the workforce with no prospects, we're not going to really get out of the trap. So something more is, is needed. It's a depressing scenario because I don't know how one turns things around. We've been talking about this for so many years. Do you think there's any hope? I do think there's hope. Um, there's always hope. I think that one of the th reasons why South Africa hasn't been able to grow its economy is because we haven't been prepared, well, government has not been prepared to make the reforms that are needed. And we're talking about economic reforms here economic reforms to the investment environment. So, you know, for instance, opening up the electricity markets. As long as people don't feel that they're going to have a secure supply of electricity, they're not going to sink billions of rands into a new factory. That's just not going to happen. So those sorts of things really have to 
get a lot of attention and they have to happen a lot faster. So I think what's happening at the moment is we're starting to see those things change. And Ramaphosa is very, you know, he's very determined and, and he's very strong on them, but he's not very fast. And so we're not getting the lift off because the things are not happening fast enough. But the hope lies in the fact that, you know, these things do eventually start to start to take root and a new kind of environment for investment is created. So, you know, I think when, when one looks at, when one gets despondent and, and you feel like, well, there's no hope, I mean, you do just have to look around you and look at this country and look at the wealth, the investment, the development, the infrastructure, the, 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 the private sector, the strength of the private sector, all of those things, these are amazing things for an African country to have. So we've got so much potential, but the issue is like realizing it. Well, let's hope we do get there. Thank you so much for your insights and your time. That was Carol Payton, Senior Financial Journalist for Fin24. We're now joined by Dr. Iraj Abedian, Senior Economist at Pan-African Investment and Research Services. Iraj, do you think that the near-term financial outlook for the man in the street is positive or negative in the current climate? There is no doubt that uh, if by a man in the street you mean average uh, middle income and lower income working class, the prospects are quite negative. Inflation is, is quite high, interest rates are rising, and fuel prices, very importantly, uh, remain elevated and the risk to all of these is on the upside. Uh, so in the medium term, by that I mean in the 18 to 24 months, we're going to have a very, very challenging environment. What, if anything, can people do to improve their financial circumstances? And perhaps as importantly, what should they not be doing when it comes to spending their money? Really, uh, it's absolutely essential that they should not spend on whatever that they don't need. Um, Whatever, of course, for different families, different individuals, the definition of need is very different. Um, But it comes down to a very granular attention to the importance of um, spending only on necessities. Uh, and that uh, means uh, on the expenditure side managing and on the, on the other side with all uh, intention and unconscious way avoid taking on debt, especially if it's a consumption debt. If it's debt for starting a business or uh, setting up a source of revenue, um, that's that could be productive, but debt that is for consumption under no circumstances is helpful in the current financial and economic uh, uh, framework that we have. Iraj, with rising interest rates, what impact do you think this will have on the price of housing in South Africa? Is it likely to come down as a result of more expensive mortgages? Um, that is generally the case. Of course, housing is uh, is a very, very complex sector. And it's not, a, as you know very well, it's not a very simple, uniform setup. Uh, in general, when interest rates go up, the price of property comes down. It's a negative relationship. However, there are pockets in the property sector that the demand is so high that uh, it outweighs the negative impact of interest rates. At the same time, there are pockets that over and above the negative aspects of interest rates rising, 
the environment, the suburb, the the safety, the quality of the, of, of the properties are such that they get a double whammy. So if you end up in a situation where you have to sell your property, be it an apartment or a house, in an environment that the suburb itself is not um, so-called well well regarded by the buyers, then you have two problems. Interest rate makes the property um, prices go down and the broader desirability of the suburb or the apartment or the block um, makes it so much worse. And therefore, um, the answer to your question is yes, generally interest rates rising or expected to rise dampens the price of property. What are the chances of increased taxation for the ordinary South African, particularly at the upper end? Well, it's almost inevitable. Um, South Africa's public debt is rising, and unless and until the South African national growth, GDP growth or economic growth picks up on a sustainable basis, not on a quarter or one year, on a sustainable basis, um, ahead of three and a half to four percent, the the tax increases for the upper income um, individuals and households is writing on the wall. Iraj, what if anything should government be doing to stimulate the economy more? Look, the government needs to professionals government. At the moment, we have a state which is incredibly mediocre, incompetent, and um, unproductive sometimes counterproductive. So it's a very loaded question you ask. <laughs> what should the government do first and foremost at the political level? We should have a government, not many governments. At the moment, we don't have one government. We have um, within the so-called national government, we have governments within governments. Then at a, non, at a technical level, if you like, below the ministers and the cabinet, We have various departments, most of them, not all of them, most of them are populated by very incompetent uh, individuals who have a culture of mediocrity, um, and yet um, they're they're entrusted with a massive responsibility to turn the economy around. And many, many sectors, uh, in fact, all the sectors of the economy, in one way or another, dependent on uh, a competent state. Let me just give you one example. Um, our economy, by, the, by its very nature, um, is an export, uh, a commodity exporter. It relies on many, many key imports. And yet, our rail and port infrastructure is completely uh, dilapidated. It's poorly managed. And ministers talk about it, but they do nothing about it. Uh, they contradict each other. Um, they go year after year as if tomorrow is another day. In the meantime, the economy's growth gets more and more hammered. Our exports get uh, less less competitive. Our exporters lose, which means their jobs are at risk. And 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 and, and. so, if you look at the sector, a key sector, fundamental sector like infrastructure, be it energy, be it ports, be it rail, be it transportation, be it urban management. These are all left in very incapable hands. At the best, the ministers and deputy ministers and DGs talk about it. Another five year go, years go by, no, nobody does anything. For example, our government back in 2012, 10 years ago, uh, launched the National Development Plan. One of its pillars was creating a capable state. Well, 10 years later, exactly, our 
government as a machinery of management, management of public sector, management of policies, has become less capable, not more capable. So your loaded question of what, if any, government should do, they can do a lot. They are the single largest obstacle to economic growth at the moment. That's very worrying and depressing to think about when you speak in those terms, particularly about the National Development Plan of, of 10 years ago already. Thank you so much for your time. That was Dr. Iraj Abidian, Senior Economist at Pan-African Investment and Research Services. That's all we have time for this week on The Story. Join us again next week. I'm Catherine Rice, and this week's episode was recorded by Alyosha Kolstock. <laughs>